Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Are you concerned? Are you afraid? Are you upset? Maybe you're pessimistic because of what's been going on in our country. On the other hand, maybe you're happy. Maybe you're optimistic. Well, here's some news. No matter whether you are happy or sad, it's all temporary. In fact, the state is temporary, but you are eternal. As Marx tried to say that the state was eternal and the individual wasn't, it's exactly the opposite. You are eternal. The state is temporary. In fact, you are immortal. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this in his uh, lecture, The Weight of Glory. He said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest, most uninterest, uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted, tempted to worship or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, for if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people, said Lewis. He went on to say, you have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are all mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, with whom we work, with whom we marry, snub and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors, unquote, from C.S. Lewis. We are immortal. And whether you're a Christian or not, you are immortal. And so I want to talk about this because what could be more important than eternity? And my friend Clay Jones has written a fabulous new book. It's called Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and what we can do about it. Now, most of you know who Clay is because he's for a very long period of time has been at Biola University. He is now also teaching at Colorado Christian University under Lee Strobel's new program out there. And a year or two ago, we had Clay on for his book, Why Does God Allow Evil? Well, the brand new book is about immortality. It's always great to have Clay on. Clay, how are you? I'm well, thank you for having me on, Frank. It's always a pleasure. Well, Clay, uh, <laughs> I also got to mention that you are the president of Ratio Christi. A lot of people. Well, I'm the chairman of the board. Oh, that's uh, right. Chairman of I'm the, the board. Chairman which of the is board. even higher than the president, Clay. So <laughs> I actually demoted you. But. Well, there you go. There you go. Ratio Christi, as most of you know, is doing some great work on college campuses. I speak at a lot of uh, Ratio Christi groups on campus when we can speak on campus. And uh, Clay is the chairman of the board of that fine organization. But Clay, this new book, Immortal. 
the first question I have is, why did you write the book? What's behind the book? Why did you think this was important to write about? I wrote this book because I was reading a book by a Paris philosopher named Luke Fetty, and Luke said something that was fascinating to me. He said in his book, in his book A Brief History of Thought, he said the quest for a salvation without God is at the heart of every great philosophical system, and that is its essential and ultimate objective. And when I read that, frankly, my mind was blown. I don't consider myself a philosopher. I have a BA in philosophy, but that doesn't really make you a philosopher. Um, I'm more of a theologian type fellow. Uh, but when I read that, I went, I never heard that. So I started doing a lot of reading of philosophers and, and Luke Fetty had recommended some, referred to some. And I'll, I'll just give you one more. Plato said, truly then, those who pr practice philosophy aright are cultivating dying. And for them, least of all men does being dead hold any terror. In another place, he said, practicing philosophy in the right way is in fact training to die easily. And I found one philosopher after another saying that what philosophy is about is about helping us to learn to die. And if Stoicism and Epicureanism, by the way, were mostly about how, how to deal with death. Uh, certainly that was the major objective of Epicureanism. And so then I, I was just, I was blown away by that. So I started reading psychologists and philosophers, other philosophers, anthropologists, sociologists, and there's this huge and really growing, very rapid trend, rapidly, uh, this trend of philosophers, psychologists, sociologists are all saying that the major driving force for humans is the fact that they're afraid they're going to die. And I was just struck by that. And of course, it says in Hebrews 2, 14 and 15, that Jesus took on flesh so that he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives are held in bondage by lifelong slavery. So in other words, the scripture actually says that the non-Christian is held in bondage by a slavery to the fear of death. And it, so as I started putting this together, I went, I'm there. And that was hmm. the, that was the origin of the book. Now, I seem to remember someone saying this. I don't know who said it. Maybe you know. Someone said, death is philosophy's only problem. <laughs> well, right? I, don't, I don't remember who that was. But yes, indeed, that's, that's exactly correct. And it is. Uh, and, and in reading modern atheist philosophers, indeed, I find again and again, their thoughts are turned towards how to deal with death. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a book by Alex Rosenberg called The Atheist Guide to Reality. Uh, and he concludes his book, by the way, says arguments for philosophical arguments uh, for, you know, death, dealing with death. He says they don't really work. He says, take Prozac uh, or your favorite other favorite serotonin reuptake inhibitor and keep taking them until they kick in. And so, in other words, here's this atheist writing on death and how to live your life here. And he goes, take drugs. And actually, I'm finding that more and more. And this is where our society is going. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that Alex Rosenberg who is a materialistic atheist, he writes a book on the atheist guide to reality and here he is denying reality exists, right? Remember well, that? I mean, it's like, well, you gotta, you, or I, I've got to take drugs to deal with it. Right. You know, that's I mean, right. that's, yeah, let, let's get high. Which well, by the way, famously, famously wrote, of course, in Ecclesiastes that God has put eternity on our hearts. Yes, Clay. absolutely. And how has he done that? Or why has he done that? Why, why do we all have this sense that there is, 
and immortality to us, that we are going to go on after we die. I mean, I think if you're an atheist, you have to suppress that intuition. I think you do. And you have to suppress, of course, the obvious Right. The scripture says in Romans one, they repress the truth by their wickedness. What can be made known about God is plain to them. Uh, so they have to suppress that there is a God. They have to suppress all of that. They have to suppress that intuition. Uh, and 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 also, then, the, of course, the scripture says that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world. So they have to reject and suppress anything that he might be inclining us to believe. Say, hey, dummy, there really is a God. You need to wake up and hear this, see this. Um, but yeah, they have to suppress this. One of the things in re- writing Immortal, by the way, is I learned that every single person on earth is actually telling themselves a lie. There's no exception, except, well, there is one exception. Those who have a robust belief, a robust view of eternal life in Jesus do not have to tell themselves lies about the nature of reality. Everyone else is lying to themselves or they're drugging themselves to death because um, reality without Jesus is so stark and so hurtful that they have to do something. When we come back from the break, we're going to go to break here in just a minute, Clay. I want to ask you about that. Uh, what lies are people telling themselves uh, if they're not Christians, if in fact Christianity is indeed true? Uh, so we're going to get into that. Clay's new book, Clay Jones's new book is called Immortal, How the Fear of Death Derives Us and What We Can Do About It. And uh, I did get some emails from you about last week's show, The Roots of Riots, and I'm going to get to that in a future program. But today, I want to talk about eternal things and immortality. So that's why we're talking about this today with Dr. Clay Jones. Look, ladies and gentlemen, if Christianity is true, you are immortal. Whether you're a Christian or not, what does that mean? What should we do about it? We're back in just a couple of minutes, so don't go anywhere. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. That's what you're listening to. I'm Frank Turek, your host. My guest is Dr. Clay Jones. ClayJones.net is his website. ClayJones.net. Check that out. His new book is about immortality. It's called Immortal. And Clay, just before the break, you had mentioned that you think that people who are not Christians and don't have a robust understanding of Christianity and the fact that our ultimate life is going to be with Jesus in eternity, you think that such people are lying to themselves. What do you mean by that? Uh, Well, what they're doing is, is they're trying to transcend their death somehow some way. Uh, And so people do it through literal immortality projects. And by that, I mean, a lot of people are literally hoping to live forever by diet and exercise and do everything just right. Uh, That one day science is going to find a way and I'm going to be able to literally live forever. Transhumanism is a a crock, frankly, and I write at length in my book, Immortal, about transhumanism. That's a crock. Uh, we're never going to be able to upload our brains because, as you know, Frank, uh, we're not just material stuff. We have souls and consciousness, and we're not going to upload our souls into a computer. So there's literal immortality. But the biggest way, and I find all the atheists doing this, frankly, I mean, Richard Dawkins, uh, Bar- well, Bart Ehrman is not a, considers himself an agnostic, uh, but all Sam Harris, all of them see themselves as uh, depending on symbolic immortality. 
that they're going to somehow live on past their death by doing things. And so people are trying to live on through having children. That's a symbolic immortality project. It's not a very good one because uh, you're ch- after 20 generations, there's only 0.5000000, uh, 4% of your body goes on, of your genes go on. And that might not even happen. Why? Uh, because genes transfer over in groups and some are dominant and some are recessive. But you're going to, uh, you couldn't feed a mosquito after 20 generations. Uh, with your, the amount of genes in your, in, in your offspring's body. But the biggest thing is, is, I ask my students all the time, I've kind of enjoyed this. It tells you something about my personality, I guess. But I've said, how many of you know the first names of your great-great-grandparents? And nobody. the answer to, nobody does. Nobody. I, even, I've with, had, even with Ancestry.com, we don't know. I, I've, <laughs> I've had, I think in every class I've asked combined, total, I haven't had more than three students say they knew the first names of their great, great grandparents. And then I ask them the follow-up question. I say, do you care? No one cares. No one is, oh no, I really care. That means something to me. It means nothing to them. But Clay, even if you did care, even if someone today did care about somebody that was their ancestor who lived 200 years ago, if that person is really dead and there's no immortality to that person, that's they right. don't even know anything about whether right. their that's offspring right. care or not. And even if they did, they're still why would dead. They care? I mean, it's that's just, right. It's vacuous, right? It's, it's absolutely vacuous, and there's there's no point to it. You're not going to live on through your children. But so procreation and adoption, obviously, I'm going to live on through my kids. Uh, creating something wonderful. You know, the, the classic example of that would be Homer's Iliad. Uh, that's still around. And so people go, uh, somehow Homer's living on. No, he's not. He's dead. He has no idea that people are reading the Iliad. He's dead. Uh, I don't have any doubt that he wrote it as a symbolic immortality project, as a way to be remembered. Because if you study the early Greeks, the Romans, uh, the ancients, they were really consumed uh, with with how people were going to think of them and in the future. Marcus Aurelius, by the way, pointed out the folly of that. He says, why should I worry about what future generations are going to think of me when the only thing the future generations are going to be thinking of is how they're going to get future generations to think of them? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, but people, you know, write a book, uh, you know, build a, build a tower, uh, do something great where you'll be remembered, do something heroic activism. I'm going to save the planet. See, in that way, I can go on because I'm saving the planet. Uh, you know what? I've got news for you. The planet's going, if there is no God, the planet, first of all, our sun's going to supernova and burn our planet to a crisp. And then it's going to go uh, to absolute zero, which is like 474 degrees below zero. And it's going to be just a bunch of debris. Um, if there is no God, no matter what, you're not living forever, but people have to tell themselves these lies. They have to tell themselves that, no, no, if I do this or that or the other thing, I'll in some sense live on. No, you won't. Uh, But Mm. by the way, people then that are saving the planet, the reason they're so vehement, because that's their immortality project, right? I'm symbolically, I'm going to save the planet. And that's what I've done here on earth. And if I save the planet, I will in some sense live on because I've saved the planet. Well, you know what the the trouble with that is, uh, or that's why, right? If you, argue with them or disagree with them, or you don't support their point of view, then that's like killing them a second time because you're killing their immortality project project. And that's why these people become so vehement uh, about you. It's not just kind of, 
you know, hey, this is important and we should do it. It's if you disagree with me, I need to go to war with you. Well, why? Hmm. Is it really because we have this altruistic love for future generations that will never meet? Is that really why it is? Or is it because if I save the planet, then I have done something that's going to transcend my death. But anyway, so people are telling themselves that these things are going to somehow provide them a sense of immortality. And, and it's yeah, not. It's a religion at that point. It does. That is what they're worshiping. They're worshiping the earth or that's they're right. worshiping something right. about themselves because they're trying to make themselves right. immortal. And as you pointed out, Clay, even if we were to get really good at taking care of ourselves and and uh, Im improve our ability to live longer, the whole universe is going to go to heat death. It doesn't matter how, how, you know, eat the chocolate, forget about the kale today. It's, it's all going <laughs> to, right. we're it's all, all going down death anyway, right? So that's now, right. It's, you do take care of your body because you sure. actually are doing something that's going to matter into eternity if there is indeed an eternity. That's and so right. the whole thing turns, as you point out in your book, and the book, again, is called Immortal, ladies and gentlemen, by my guest, uh, Clay Jones, the whole thing po pivots on whether or not Christianity is true. And, it does. and you talk about that in a chapter in your book, Is Christianity Really True? Is Do we have evidence that God exists and Jesus really rose from the dead? We can get into that maybe later if we have time, but Clay, this this is so important because people are literally lying to themselves, as you put it, they're they're trying to cover up their angst by trying right. to put something in eternity's place. They're trying to make eternity of their own uh, their own making somehow, and That's this right. just doesn't work. In fact, uh, I was reading a section of your book today, Clay. I want you to comment on this. Uh, you were pointing out people who are killers trying oh, yes. to get attention. Yes, and it, I think I think you mentioned the Charles Lindbergh kidnapping. Yes. Uh, that there were over 200 people that came forward and said they were the kidnapper, even though they weren't. Why did they do that? See, that's the amazing thing. And and we can, yes, over 200 people confessed to the crime, uh, what was at the time called the crime of the century. Uh, over 200 people confessed. They later caught the actual killer. I mean, they knew it for sure. But 200 people confessed because they wanted to be famous and then somehow transcend their puny existence here. The Parkland school shooter that killed 17 people uh, put on Facebook, tomorrow everybody's going to know who I am. The the guy that the Las Vegas shooter, his, his brother was asked, why did he do that? And he says, well, my brother always wanted to be the best at everything. So I would assume he'd want the largest casualty count. Uh, the guy that shot John Lennon, Mark David Chapman, said, mm -hmm. I did it to steal John Lennon's fame. Mm -hmm. uh, and and all, it just goes on and on that most of the, in fact, the the uh, Secret Service did a study of people by people that attacked presidents. And the number one reason was to be famous. That was the number one reason I want to be famous. Why? Because it, then at least in some sense, in this puny de death that I'm going to face, in my, I should, my, my puny existence death, I should say, um, that I'm going to live on. At least people will know who I am. And this has gone on. Frankly, this has gone on for centuries that people have Clay, done terrible things. Isn't this part of the first lie when you think about it, where the devil said to Adam and Eve, if you do this, you will be like God. And it seems yeah, sure. like everybody's trying to be like God. We're trying to get glory and we're trying to take God's glory upon ourselves and say, look at me, look at me. I'm famous. I mean, it's a celebrity culture, right? Right. 
Right. You, in you fact, also talk about Madonna in your book. Yeah, I do. There's a fellow, I'm, I don't remember his name offhand that I quote in the book, and he says, mm -hmm. uh, the lack of, as we're losing belief in the afterlife, there is a converse uh, increase in celebrity because mm. people want to be famous somehow. And so, and that's what, you know, I mean, and it's everything from, you know, uh, well, Madonna, of course, and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and to the people, the hot dog people eating contest people, uh, there's the guy that Guinness book of world records gave the, the award to having the longest fingernails in the world on one hand, 428 inches. I think it was, why would anybody do that? It was like since 1952, he hadn't cut the nails on his left hand. That's dumb. Uh, you know, you've got the guy, uh, you know, the most garden gnomes, the most toothpaste tubes. Those are all in the Guinness Book of World Records. And it's so stupid, uh, but it's some. It's a way of standing out. It's a way it's of filling a void. It's yeah, filling it's a void. Filling and the void, void is, the I need to be recognized. Right, I right. need to be remembered. I need to have a, even if it's a tiny footnote somewhere, I need a little note about me that says that I did something, well, often very stupid, right? I mean, there's the guy that broke the most toilet seats with his head in one minute, which if memory serves, by the way, was 54. Where did, what made him one day go, you know, I think I'd have a talent for breaking toilet seats with my head. I mean, really, but see, yeah, this is the, this is the desperation. That's uh, a for crappy people. way to get famous. <laughs> there you go. No, it is. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. So At it's really the idea that we have eternity on our hearts and here is God handing us eternity for free. And yet we want to try and, and create our own that's right. Eternity, if you will, our own immortality right. with these inane stunts we put on. What That's is right. wrong with us, Clay? I, you know, I think it's just the, the, the kernel of sin, as you know, Frank, is selfishness. Mm. And and. That's the current. That's the real start of it is I want me to be wonderful and having to submit your will to God's will doesn't feel as wonderful. And so mm. people will do anything. I call them secular salvation projects. Those are another name for it. Somehow I'm going to live on without God. And it's through my own wonder. And Richard Dawkins says, you know, this girl named Anne, who is terrified of dying, Richard Dawkins says, well, you need to just get some accomplishments behind you. He says, my, my, my legacy is secure, Dawkins said. I'm going on because I've accomplished a lot of things. Skeptic Magazine publisher Michael Shermer said exactly the same thing. We're mm -hmm. living on through our children, through our relationships, mm -hmm. through our writings, the things we've accomplished. But notice these are all symbolic immortality projects. And they're all mm -hmm. empty, as in completely and utterly empty. And, and they won't work. They're not going to work. Uh, and, and be, you know, I think if you think of famous movie stars, I mentioned one of them was Hedy Lamarr. Honestly, I really didn't know who Hedy Lamarr was until I started writing the book, and then I looked her up. She was considered the most beautiful woman in the world. Nobody really knows who she is now. Uh, Star Wars, the movie Star Wars, I've asked a lot of people, hey, have you, you know, talked to them about Star Wars? They don't even know what the movie was. They haven't seen it. So anyway, that's not going to that's not going <laughs> to last. Right. We're back in just a minute with my friend Clay Jones. The book is called Immortal, and it's important to a lot of people, as you can tell. We'll cover more of it in just a minute. I'm Frank Turek. Don't go anywhere. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, 
don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My guest is Clay Jones. His new book is called Immortal. We're going to get right back into it. Before I do, I want to mention I'll be at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills this Sunday, January 17th. All three services. We're going to be talking about how are you being deceived? I hope you can join me for one of those services. And then next Saturday and Sunday in Lexington, South Carolina, that's just out of outside of Columbia, South Carolina. I'll be at the Calvary Chapel down there in Lexington all day Saturday with my friend Charlie Campbell. We're going to be doing an apologetics conference on Saturday, the 23rd, I think that is. And then on Sunday, I'm doing the service or services that morning at Calvary Chapel. I think it's Calvary Chapel, Columbia, but it's actually in Lexington, South Carolina. Go to crossexamine.org, click on events. You will see uh, my calendar there. I hope to see you at both those events, Saturday and Sunday in Lexington, South Carolina. Let's go back to my friend, Clay Jones. Clay, I hear atheists denying sometimes that that life is objective, or let me put it another way. They deny that when we say life can only be objective if God exists, they deny that. They say there is objective meaning. They'll try and say that. But Clay, why is there no true objective meaning to life unless God exists? Well, one of the things uh, that, as you know, Frank, has got a lot of things we could say about it. But one of the things is if nothing, see, what atheists will do is they'll try to come up with things that I'm going to change the world by. Uh, I'm going to, like I said, global, I'll stop global warming. Uh, or I think Richard Dawkins and some of his gang, I'm going to convince a lot of people that there is no God, this will be freeing to them, and this will transcend my own death. That's yeah. how they're looking for meaning. The trouble is, one, as you know, that's false. Two, there's no objective meaning because the entire universe is going to go to like negative 473 degrees. Uh, so what's the point? It's like, well, yeah. at least we had a good time while we were on our way to to heat death, uh, that there's just, what's, what's the meaning? I think when people are talking about meaning, what they're really talking again is about something that's going to transcend my death. That's more, that's not just simply, you know, I lived, I died and here I am, you know, what, but they're having a very, very hard time coming up with anything that means anything in that mm -hmm. context. In fact, I would argue as Bertrand Russell did, uh, that, we need to realize that the whole universe, and he talked about it, it's going to one day just be a bunch of debris in ruins. Uh, and so there is no real meaning. And Bertrand Russell realized that. And he said that straight out in his book. Um, and so, and I talk, I quote him in my book, but anyway, so I don't see how you get objective meaning if there's no God, there's nothing that transcends our puny little fates here. And since, like I say, the whole universe is just going to be one big junkyard, uh, one big frozen junkyard. How do you, get any kind of ongoing meaning out of that. Yeah, there's no there's no ongoing meaning or objective meaning, and therefore there's no objective morality either. That's Look, right. if there's no true meaning to life, there's no right or wrong way to live it. Everything right. is just a matter of opinion. And yet these same atheists are trying to 
on one hand, while they say there's no God, they're trying to say, no, life is meaningful and you ought to live a certain way. Well, no, you can't have it both ways. You got to steal from God in order to say such a thing while you're being an atheist. It doesn't work. In fact, I remember you you brought up uh, Richard Dawkins. Um, You know, he's the one that famously said, there is no right or wrong. There is no justice. There is no injustice. There's no good or evil. Um, I think he may have even said in that famous quote, there's no meaning. We just dance to our DNA, right? That's and right. then there, there was a, um, a biologist who studied under Stephen Jay Gould at Harvard. His name was Kurt Wise, and uh, he did not turn out to be an evolutionist. You know, Gould was one of the most famous evolutionists of the last century. He, he actually ca- turned out to be a young earth creationist Christian. And right. Richard Dawkins was lamenting that Kurt Wise was wasting his life. Now, wait a minute. How can you waste your life if there's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no good or evil, there's no right or wrong, there is no justice, we're all going to die and become worm food. You can't waste your life. Yet he's saying that Kurt Wise is wasting his life. So let me, uh, I I wasn't intending to say this. I think yours is the first program I've ever said this on, but let me quote W.H. Auden, the poet. He, he, I mean, famous poet, A-U-D-E-N, W.H. Auden. He says, to believe in the value of art is to believe that it is possible to make an object, be it an epic or two-line epigram, which will remain permanently on hand in the world. The probabilities of success are against him, but an artist must not attempt anything less. In the meantime, whatever is going to happen, we must try to live as Ian Forrester recommends that we should. The people I respect most behave as if they were immortal and if society were eternal. Both assumptions are false. Both must be accepted as true if we are going to go on working and eating and loving and are able to keep an o- open a few breathing holes for holes for the human spirit. I think mm. that's exactly right. Uh, here he is saying we need to, for us to do anything meaningful at all, for us to just go on living, we have to believe that life is immortal, even though we absolutely know this is false. But we mm. have to lie to ourselves and tell us mm. that somehow mm. it is, because if we don't, we're not going to be able to go on and do anything. And so who here you it? have... Was it, was it Sartre or Camus? Maybe it was Camus who said, philosophy's only question is, should we all commit suicide? I think it was Camus who said that, right? That would make sense to me. I didn't know that quote, but that would make sense to me because if there is no God, what's the point? Uh, yeah, but yeah. see, if you get to that, what's the point? Uh, well, then you have to get into all the ways that we deal with death through denial and distraction and so on, because that's the only way you can deal with life if you really realize that without God, there's just no point to it. Well, in your book, Immortal, Clay, uh, you point out that People fear death, but there are some people that disagree with that contention. They'll say, no, I don't fear death. Why do you think they're wrong? Well, it's three psychologists who have long names. I won't go into their names. Uh, psychology professors have put out a book entitled The Worm at the Core. And in, in 1987, they began to start doing studies exper- exposing people to their death fears. Uh, and they found that when they exposed people to their death fears, the people acted extremely differently. Uh, I'll give you just one of my favorite examples is in Israel, they did a study where they had a, where in this open courtyard, there was a bunch of flyers, a stack of flyers. Half of the flyers are, are you experiencing back pain? Call this number. The other half of the flyers were, uh, are you afraid of dying? Uh, and uh, next to this courtyard, there was a, there was a beverage stand that was selling uh, 
strong a strong alcoholic drink uh, or a nice fruit punch. Uh, those that got the death fear flyer three to one got the strong alcoholic drink over those that got the back pain flyer. And think about it. That was just a flyer. <laughs> what right, if they right. got the news that they really were going to die? But there have been over 500 studies and counting over 500 studies. And every single time, if they expose people to the reality, to the thought of their own death, it freaks them out. But even, but most people, if you say, are you afraid of death? They'll say no, because that's the first step to dealing with it is denial. And then, of course, the second step is distraction. And people are distracting themselves from the way, the fact that they're going to die. That's what TV and the internet and all this is about. You know, people wonder why we pay sports stars and singing stars and, and actors and actresses so much money uh, compared to teachers. And the answer to that part of the answer is, is because they perform the most valuable task on earth. They keep us from thinking about the fact that we're going to die. Mm. Uh, so it's not surprising they're keeping us from thinking we're going to die. Um, so anyway, there's no, you know, I mean, denial, distraction, depression, by the way, drugs are the answer. Uh, if you don't have God, they really are the answer. I quoted you, I, you, Alex Rosenberg, they are the answer. In fact, Paul agrees with that. He said, let us eat and drink for tomorrow. We will die if the dead are not raised to life. I mean, we mm. party on, believe me, if all of a sudden I decided Christianity wasn't true. I'd buy the biggest big screen TV I could find and I would drink my brains out because mm. that's the only way you can deal with the fact that your life is meaningless and you're going to die. Wasn't that the, I haven't seen this book in a long time, but 19, not 1984, it's Brave New World. Yes. Uh, Huxley, wasn't Huxley talking about a drug called Soma that would just kind of mellow everybody out in that that, that well, was the future. That's exactly what Prozac is. And now yeah. people are legalizing marijuana. Uh, you know, I mean, our state just recently did. I mean, and but see, again, uh, the opioid crisis is really a lack of belief in the afterlife crisis. That's really what's going on. People have no hope. They're without God. Suicide, the fact that suicide is up. People commit suicide because they know they're going to die. That may seem counterintuitive. But as Stanford psychiatrist, emeritus psychiatrist put it this way, Professor, he says, Irving Yalom, he says, uh, suicide is an active act. It allows one to control that which controls one. And so these, you know, I mean, of, of course, drug use, suicide, uh, you know, I mean, as I said to you on the break, anarchy, uh, hey, there's no God. I've got, I saw this guy right in the riots about six months ago. He jumps on the hood of a moving SUV. He's not on it long. They shake him off. A camera goes up to him and goes, what are you doing? And he says, we're changing the world. And I'm thinking, you are an idiot. You're hmm. not changing the world. That was stupid. But notice again, I've got to have something where I've made some sort of a difference. I can't just die not having made a difference in this world. Now, why are Christians, do you think, afraid of death? I mean, uh, if, if it's true that we're, you know, that's, that's what we're all waiting for. We're all going to be graduated and we're all going to be with Jesus and our loved ones. Why would we be afraid of that? That's uh, one of my right? favorite questions, Frank. Uh, and, you know, I'll tell you part of the, the I had a, when I was teaching an undergrad, undergrad some years ago, an under, a blonde came up to me, undergrad, and she says, uh, uh, you know, or she says, I'm, a, I'm afraid that I don't want to go to heaven. 
Uh, and I went in after talking with her and encouraging her, I went in and talked to a young woman in our office, a 20 something woman. I told that to her. She says, I, she says, I have the same fear. Satan has done what I call extreme makeover metaphysical edition. And what I mean by that uh, is he has made heaven look like a place you don't want to go. We're all going to be sitting on, on clouds, strumming harps, sporting flightless wings and singing forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't want to go to that heaven either. That's mm -hmm. not what the Bible teaches. That's why the last three chapters of my book, Why Does God Allow Evil, are about heaven. And the last two chapters of my book, Immortal, are about heaven, to try to set the record straight. Uh, your occupation is reigning with Christ. You are not going to be singing nonstops. And I'm going to say something to just blow people's minds, Frank, and I'm not trying to be lascivious. But I, I, in fact, I'm thinking I'm going to do a blog on it soon entitled, uh, The Lord Made Orgasms Possible. And the reason I bring that up is, is because people think God is anti-pleasure. But where did that come from? Where did the pleasure of sex come from? And people say, well, you're just trying to shock people. I am. I'm trying to shock you out of your, out of your notion that heaven's going to be a terrible place to go. Well, you've shocked us, Clay Jones, and we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break and figure out what the conclusion of that is. My guest is Dr. Clay Jones. His book is called Immortal. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. We're back in two minutes. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Talking to Clay Jones, ladies and gentlemen, on I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek. Uh, just before the break, we were talking about people having a misconception of heaven. Christians are not interested in heaven. They don't want to go there. You were talking about this young lady that came into your office, Clay, that was a Christian, didn't want to go to heaven because she thought it was sitting on clouds, playing harps and singing hymns forever. That's not what it's about. So, Clay Jones, what is heaven going to be like? Well, you know, I, I think that's a great question. I think it's so important that we look at this more carefully. In my book, Why Does God Allow Evil, for instance, uh, I talk about the fact uh, that uh, we're, let, let me put it to you like this. Uh, here's what I look forward to in heaven. I've, I've spent decades studying heaven and thinking about it. Uh, I look forward, one of the things I look forward to is being with all of you who are saints of Christ. I look forward to that. I look forward to living without guilt. Can you imagine what it would be like to live without guilt? Uh, without tears, uh, and there won't even be tears of joy because tears of joy are come from when you've uh, just gotten over hardship. Uh, I look forward to banquets. I would point out to you that in the Old and New Testament, heaven is most often compared to a banquet. And I think that's incredibly important. I look forward to inheriting a new heavens and a new earth. I don't, you know, I, I differ with Alcorn. I don't think we're going to be on this planet. I think he's the new heavens and new earth is a recreation of the cosmos. Uh, I look, you know, the scripture talks about the tree of life. Uh, I, I've tasted a lot of fruits. What does life taste like? Um, and, and, you know, David said, in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I, I just, I think we just need to think this through. See, what the devil has done, and I mentioned this briefly, Frank, is what the devil has done is 
what I call extreme makeover metaphysical edition. For instance, heaven's going to be white. Look, that's that's not true. If you look in Revelation, heaven is jewel toned. It's not white. Uh, and as I said, and I won't use the O word again, but I'll just say sexual pleasure. Guess what? God created that. Uh, that was he wine, food, filet mignon. I mean, he created mm-hmm. these things. Because he's not anti-pleasure, as Lewis says in the screw tape letters. He says, you know, he has the, he has the, the devil's servant screw tape say, you know, I mean, we haven't created a pleasure yet, but we're working on it. God is pro-pleasure. He's just against pleasure's misuse. Uh, and so that's what we have to look forward to. And like I say, that's why with my two books combined, my book on evil and my book on immor- book immortal, I spend five chapters between the two of them talking about heaven, trying to set the record straight. Because honestly, let's face it, if you don't actually, if heaven looks like a drag to you, you're not going to try for it. You're not going to hope for it. And and for us to find heaven compelling, it has to be more than just, it's better than the other place. But I'm mm-hmm. afraid that for many, many Christians, heaven in their conception is no more than better than the other place. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not compelling. And we can't set our f- focus on heaven. And we can't relax and enjoy the fact that we're going to have eternity with Jesus and each other forever. Uh, if we're going to go, well, it's only better than the other place. It, that's a drag. Clay, when, when we say that someone dies today, this is before the new heavens and new earth, we say they're going to heaven, right? That's when right. we're in the presence of God. But it's not the ultimate heaven, is it? What is it? It's a, it's a kind of an intermediate state, is right. it not? Our, yeah. our, our, our first, our, once you die, your body dies. And I, always, and I talk about this at some length. Once mm-hmm. your body dies, your spirit, that's, it's seamless, immediately enters into the next realm. Uh, you know, Jesus said, in fact, that his servants will not taste death. Jesus wasn't living in denial. He knew very well that our bodies were going to die. What he means is that your spirit, your consciousness is going to be, is going to travel immediately. You're going to immediately be in the next world. There won't be, it won't be like a computer reboot. There's no, it's seamless. Uh, in fact, I like in Dallas Willard was the first one I heard that said this. He says, you know, he says, um, uh, it may take you a few minutes to realize that you're dead. Uh, you might have to look back and go, hey, there's my body in a mangled car lying on an operating room table. And you go, hey, I'm dead uh, because your consciousness is going to move on. And yes, you will be disembodied. Uh, I, some, I've heard some Christians go, well, that sounds terrible. I would love to experience that until we get our, our glorified bodies mm-hmm. in the kingdom. I think that would, be, that, that would be a trip. People need to remember, you're not a body that has a soul. You're a soul or a spirit that has a body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when our body dies, the real you, your soul and spirit, immediately go on to be uh, in the presence of the Lord and with his people forever and ever. The book is called Immortal. The author is my guest today, Dr. Clay Jones. What could be more important than eternity? Nothing. Nothing. There is no eternity. Nothing. Nothing's ultimately important. That's Nothing. the point. Now, um, Clay, I've heard this phrase before. You probably have it as have heard it as well, this objection. Well, look, if you focus on heaven... You're not going to be any earthly good. What do you say to that? I've got a blog. So I've got a blog entitled, uh, uh, oh, what's the phrase? Uh, he, those who do, uh, he who's too heavenly minded is no earthly good. No earthly I've got good. a blog. Yeah. I've got a blog entitled that. And I uh-huh. said, and it's like dot, dot, dot. That's dumb. That's uh-huh. dumb. Why is it and dumb? That's just dumb. It's dumb uh, because as Lewis put it, 
He says, if you study history, you'll find that the most, the people that did the most in this world were the ones who were the most conscious of the next. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.13, being self-controlled and sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Uh, and, and I am working hard in my life and have been for like, honestly, over 30 years to focus on heaven. And I don't find that means that I can just laze around and not be useful for God's kingdom here. Just the opposite, because I know I'm going to be in heaven. And I know, by the way, that we're all, you and I and all, everybody else is going to be judged. And the Lord's going to say, what did you do while you were in the body? Man, I'm going to be working hard. Uh, but I have a joy, though, because of this joy of knowing that I'm going to be in eternal life of glory, uh, because I know that where the pleasures that are here in, in the Lord's, if he can do what he's given is here, he can do a lot better in heaven, believe me. Uh, and so, no, this just simply isn't true. That, In fact, this is, uh, as I say in my blog, that's the devil's talking point. The devil was the first one to say those who are so heavenly minded are no earthly good. And he's been dis disseminating that to his minions ever since. That's just simply false. So uh, how does that it, jibe then, Clay, with the people then who say, well, since this is the only mm -hmm. life we have, I have to be an activist. I have to do X. I have to do Y. I have to do Z. How would you... How would you respond to that? Well, I would tell them that this, of course, as you would, Frank, that this life is not all we have. Uh, that, you know, people will say, well, you only live once. And I and when I say that, I always think, I don't necessarily say this to them. I go, but we can live forever. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. If that's not true, Christianity is a false religion and we should all be doing something else. But if it is true, if I really am, if we really are going to live forever and ever and ever, then uh, as Jesus said, he says, do not fear those who can kill the body and have after that have nothing more they can do to you. He says, or COVID, do not fear COVID, but fear him who after the body is killed can cast a soul into hell. He says, yes, I tell you, fear him. Uh, by the way, now I shouldn't have mentioned COVID. Let me make a disclaimer. Yes, we should be responsible there. I'm not, I'm not saying because I'm a Christian, yeah, yeah. you know, throw caution to the wind. I'm not saying that. Uh, but anyway, uh, I, you know, I mean, for us, uh, Colossians chapter three, one through four says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on earthly things for you've died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you will appear with him in glory. So with that in first Peter one thirteen, and I could quote many other verses, the scripture actually tells us to focus on heaven. It tells us to be heavenly minded, but in my heavenly mindedness and knowing that I'm going to be judged. And not only that, then when I'm judged, I'm going to judge the we, we all Christians are going to judge the world and judge angels. It makes me want to get busy for God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The people you mentioned in your book who have done the greatest mm -hmm. good in society were Christians, people That's like right. Wilberforce and uh, Martin Luther King. And I mean, just, just in our lifetime, you know, uh, our lifetime, our recent hi history, Right. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, right? These are the people that are out there knowing that the work they do on earth is important because the work that happens on earth will live on in eternity by affecting people who will live on in eternity, right? Yes. I mean, as we said before, <laughs> at the top of the program, the state is not eternal. Individuals in the state are. That's so, right. That's what we need to remember. We just got a minute or so left, Clay. Give us the real hope that we have in eternity. Where, well, how, do we, how do we have a hope? As I said, 
eternity, if you study the Old Testament and the New Testament about eternity, you'll find it's most often compared to a banquet. Uh, we are not going to be strangers to each other. Heaven is not white. These are just simply lies of the devil that we're going to enjoy each other's company throughout eternity, enjoy him uh, whose voice is like the sound of rushing waters. Uh, we're going to eat from the tree of life. I wonder what I've tasted, like I said a, earlier, a lot of fruits. I wonder what life tastes like. Uh, we're we're going to have bodies in, in immortal. I talk about the fact that we're not going to be disembodied, that we're going to have bodies. Jesus' body could hug people and people hugged him. Yet it, And he ate, by the way, Jesus ate fish yes, after, after he, he was, was resurrected. resurrected. Yeah. This is very important. Mm -hmm. We're not, we're going to be able to eat and drink things. Uh, yet Jesus could enter locked rooms. Uh, this is the hope that we have. Um, and the trouble is we get so caught up in this world, which is so little, Jesus tells us to be faithful over the things here, but then he tells us that the things that seem so big to us are small. Well, one day we're going to be facing really big things and we're going to reign over them and we're going to do that with Jesus. And that's God's plan for our lives. And it's always been the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, but Christians, as I say, what we need to do is we need to focus on these things because if we don't, then we're going to be this worldly minded and we're going to be terribly upset by all of the troubles and travails and trials that are going on around us all the time. But the Christian, of course, you can't, you know, as Jesus said, those who trust in me will not taste death. Why? Because it will be seamless. Our entrance into the next world will be seamless. Thank you, Clay Jones. That's Clay Jones, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for being on the show, Clay, and thanks for your book, Immortal. Pleasure to be with you, Frank. That's Clay Jones. ClayJones.net, ladies and gentlemen. And the way you can ensure you're going to be with Jesus is to accept the free gift he provided. Just trust in Christ and you will be saved. Also want to mention, don't forget, I will be at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, Lord willing, this Sunday, January 17th, and then all day Saturday at Calvary Chapel, Columbia, South Carolina, Lexington, South Carolina, the 23rd, and the service the next day, the 24th. See you next time. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.